recorded live. He thinks that's okay, and he thinks that the government is not holding you under duress to pay your income tax just because you discover what's really going on in the news that mainstream media won't tell you. Are you frustrated with your elected politicians? Get the news behind the news at truthradio.com. At Truth Radio, you can listen live or listen to a large selection of archived programs on demand. Listen when you want to. TruthRadio.com. The truth is out there. All you have to do is open your mind and listen. Welcome to Homily Grits, snack food for the soul. And now here's author Bob Van Hoos. Excuses, excuses. There's one factory that's been operating at full capacity since the beginning of time. Welcome to the excuse factory. God does not want our excuses. He wants a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Only when we confess and take ownership of our sins, instead of trying to excuse them, can we find that forgiveness that brings us hope for heaven. We need to remember that God's excuse window is closed, but his forgiveness counter is always open on the avenue of true sorrow and repentance. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Be sure to visit homilygrits.com. Greetings and welcome to Higher Ground Live. I'm your host, Pastor Master Green. Good Wednesday, day of June 2015. We're live with our very favorite Wednesday night member of an extraordinary gentleman, Howard Griswold. Howard, how are you tonight? Oh, I'm hanging in here. That's good. You sound, you sound good tonight. And I'm functional, despite the idiotic, high-tech system of communication that we have. I have no idea what happened last week. But between three and four o'clock in the afternoon, my wife hung up the phone talking to her mother around around the tree and she went to call my granddaughter around four and it was no doubt about it. Oh, it wouldn't work. That's why she emailed you and told you we don't have a phone, we can't be on the call. I hope you said something. Uh woman. Yeah, that stuff happens. It, it happens every once in a while. We we're more patient with yeah, technology. Yeah, well. I don't have much patience with technology. It's a good thing my wife found out that the phone wasn't working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that would be That probably would have helped you. Yeah, I think somebody in one of these medical offices that I took a little boy out for him. Uh, I was going to do the doctor and tell him what to do with, with medicine. I said, I'm not a doctor. I don't have any patience, you understand me? No patience whatsoever. <laughs> That's good. My point being, I don't have much patience, especially with this screwed up system. Well, it, it, anyway, yeah, you're it, breaking it, up. It, well, oh, 
fine. I tend to it, Howard. You um, you definitely don't have any patience at all. No, and you're you're breaking up terribly. This system is not working good tonight. Well, I believe that our listeners are more interested in hearing you and you sound
she wanted to vote, but uh, the rules were written. She couldn't vote because she was not a man. So she was not in correct status. And uh, status has a lot to do with the driver license. And uh, as the old heads on this call were aware, uh, I've been uh, saying since I started this broadcast uh, that driving is a profession, it's an occupation. And the license permits the holder to charge a fee to transport a passenger or a property. And uh, a passenger is someone who, to, who pays. Well, uh, so anyway, before I get to the court case, I'm going to read this news item. Now, this is uh, in the Sacramento Bee, and it's June 15th. This is just a couple of days ago. And the uh, title of the article is Court Case Hinges on Claim of Illegal CHP Ticket Quotas. I don't know if you folks are aware of it or not, but uh, it can't have quotas. It's uh, illegal. So anyway, uh, that's what this particular news item is about. So I'm not going to read this. Um, it's by a dude named Danny Walsh and Sam Stanton. Now, interestingly, before that, was available. We took the call. We chatted for about 10 minutes. In fact, he was at the court uh, where this uh, situation takes place. Anyway, I'll go ahead and begin the article. Uh, for years, California Highway Patrol has consistently denied that its officers are subject to a quota for the number of traffic tickets they write each month. The practice is illegal under state law, and agencies that have been found to use quota system have paid millions of dollars in damages and case lawsuits filed as recently as April. Despite that, a veteran CHP officer testified in Sacramento this month that he was subjected to a month to, to monthly admonishments from his superiors to boost his quote enforcement contact end quote with motorists to at least a hundred a month, and that such performance evaluations went on for years. The testimony by CHP motorcycle officer Jay Brame. <coughs> who is being sued along with another officer at the CHP in a case now playing out in federal court in Sacramento was bolstered by the introduction of performance reviews urging him to pull over more motorists. Quote, you have averaged five enforcement contacts per day for the first 15 days of the month. This is well below the shift average and not acceptable for a motorcycle. End quote. One evaluation introduced as evidence stated, <laughs> quote, <clears throat> you will need to pick up your enforcement activity in the second half of the month and use the motorcycle for what it is intended to be used for, end quote. The direct language in the document surprised even the judge presiding at the trial. Quote, that's terrible. 
end quote. U.S. District Judge William B. Shove said, quote, I would think that the CHP should be ashamed of that document, end quote. Quote, it's a quota, said Michael Haddad, one of two Oakland attorneys representing Harrison Ford, a Citrus Heights man suing the agency for false arrest. Do you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? False arrest. Haddad's partner, Julia Sherwin, repeated that claim Monday in closing argument to the jury. Quote, you can see from the evaluations that the CHP certainly has a quota, end quote, Sherwin said. <clears throat> quote, a quota is 100 a month, even if they don't encounter 100 people who are doing something wrong, end quote. Officials at CHP headquarters said they could not comment on pending litigation, but flatly denied Monday that such quotas exist. Quote, there's not a quota in the highway patrol, end quote, Captain Josh Ellis said. Quote, I've never seen one. I've never enforced anything like that, end quote. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a cagey way of going about saying he's never seen one. Well, maybe no one ever showed him. And uh, he's never enforced one. He says he's never enforced one. No one liked because he never saw it. And maybe that's not his job. But anyway, Deputy Attorney General Stephen Pass, who is defending the agency and its officers at the trial, dismissed the claim about the quotas as a distraction. Quote, you hear all this about quotas and performance reviews. That doesn't do anything. That's just noise. End quote, told the jury in his closing argument. Quote, it does not put anything on the scale. Or's driving is his driving. The only reason they're bringing this up is because they're trying to distract you. End quote. Pass said that Brain paid no heed to the constant criticism he received from his supervisors regarding the officer's low output of citation. Um, this is really amazing. This is from the Deputy Attorney General. Quote, he's doing what he's doing. End quote. Uh, the Deputy Attorney General told the jury, quote, he's being a good cop. He doesn't change. He keeps pulling over the same number of drivers month after month. End quote. I don't know about you folks, but that's a pretty astonishing admission. He's a good cop, and he keeps pulling over the same number of drivers month after month. I guess it doesn't really matter what it is the drivers are doing as much as it's the drivers themselves. That's the key to the CHP. The question of whether quotas exist is one of the, is one of the CHP is addressed in op-ed columns in newspapers for years, and one that motorists and patrol officers have long questioned. Quote, think of quotas are illegal in California, CHP officer Ken Infinetti wrote in March 2013. Quote, gyps column in the heart and for fentanyl. Thus, the California Highway Patrol does not require a minimum amount of citation, nor does it limit the amount of citation an officer can issue. See, vehicle code section 41602 makes clear the concept is illegal. Quote, 
Flying Peace Officers or Parking Enforcement Employees may establish any policy requiring any peace officer or parking enforcement employee to meet an arrest quota, end quote. The code states, uh, noting that citations are included in that prohibition. Some officers have sued their own agencies, claiming they were illegally coerced into stopping motorists simply to meet a quota. Officials in Los Angeles have paid out roughly $10 million over ticket quotas in recent years, according to media reports, including $6 million approved in December 2013 for several lawsuits filed by motorcycle officers who said they were being ordered to write at least 18 tickets on each shift. Even after those payouts, another LAPD officer sued the city in April, claiming he faced retaliation after being required to write 12 tickets a day. A whistleblower retaliation lawsuit filed by Officer Earl Williams claimed that Sergeant repeatedly told officers during roll call that the officer was not writing enough tickets, and that after he wrote only one ticket during his shift, he was reassigned to death duty. Uh-huh. The CHP case now unfolding in federal court in Sacramento was filed in March 2014 on behalf of work a disabled 78-year-old man from Citrus Heights. Evidence presented during the trial shows that Mr. Bethor, day 76, was pulled over by Graham for driving too slowly, making an unsafe loan change, and quote-unquote, drifting. At about 11 a.m. August 6, 2013, while southbound on Marconi Curve section of Business Loop 80. After he pulled over, the evidence shows Graham told Ford he suspected him of driving in the influence and performed the field and performed field sobriety tests, including a breathalyzer. Ford told the officer he did not drink, smoke, or use drugs, and that he had suffered a stroke. In 2006, the evidence showed, or added that he could not walk in a straight line because of the effects of the stroke, and Graham was able to rule out alcohol intoxication at the scene, according to the trial evidence. Graham told Orr he was being arrested for DUI and would be evaluated for drugs in the system by an expert at the CHP's North Area Station, the evidence shows. Graham and another CHP officer who had arrived, Terry Tong, insisted that Orr must be handcuffed per CHP policy. Orr protested that the, that the officers could not handcuff him because he had no balance and could not walk if handcuffed, the evidence shows. Evidence at trial showed that Orr struggled, struggled with the officers to avoid being handcuffed and Tong punched him in the stomach and swept his feet out from under him, and he went down on the gravel shoulder of the road. Moore was cut and taken to the CHP's North Area Station off Madison Avenue and I-80, where he was held for at least three hours and cleared by an expert of DUI as a medical rule-out. He was then taken by Graham to Sacramento County Jail and booked on suspicion of resisting arrest. He was released from jail around 1 a.m., according to the evidence. 
The district attorney's office declined to prosecute based on insufficient evidence a trial document shows. Meanwhile, Brain contacted the Department of Motor Vehicles and asked it to determine whether Orr, who has no history of accidents or traffic citation, should be driving. The evidence shows. The DMV found Orr to be competent to drive, and the Navy veteran, who had never before been arrested, sued the CHP and the two officers claiming a civil rights violation, assault and battery, negligence, elder abuse, and false arrest. The case is expected to go to trial on Tuesday, and in closing argument this Monday, Orr's attorneys asked the jury of five men and three women to assess $1.25 million in damages against the defendants for seven weeks of pain or endured after being knocked to the ground for false arrest and to deter such conduct in the future by CHP officers. Despite the law against quotas, Graham testified that his bosses wanted him to make at least 100 enforcement contacts a month and to write more tickets, whether they were valid citations or not. Enforcement contacts can include anything from a citation to a warning to, uh, uh, to a warning to traffic control or an arrest. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm going to interrupt here. Enforcement contact is not a word that the courts have um, identified in, in, in relation to what a, what a to, to the police contact. It's either going to be a consensual encounter, it's going to be a seizure, it's going to be a detention, or it's going to be an arrest. Those are the four terms that uh, both state and federal courts have, have utilized in relation to police contacts. This enforcement contact is bullshit. It's a made-up word, and it's meant to obfuscate. You have a consensual encounter, and what that means to you is, if an officer approaches you and asks you what time it is, you can say, thanks, I'd rather not tell you to keep walking, the cop can't do anything. You don't have to worry about retaliation, retribution, you won't get a beat back, because it's consensual. You can leave at will without fear of reprisal. However, the other three, seizure, detention, and arrest, all constitute what I call a compulsory restraint. You can't leave until a cop says you can. And until a cop says you can, you've got to stay where you're at. So the author, enforcement contacts can't include anything from a citation to a warning to a traffic control or an arrest. Everything this, this author refers to is a compulsory restraint. A citation, you got to wait until a cop gives you the paper. A warning, you got to wait till a cop gets done warning you. Traffic control? Whoa, what's traffic control? Someone's going to be signaling you to do something. It's, it's a compulsory thing. An arrest? Very compulsory. Returning to the article. Graham testified that he was encouraged to turn his verbal warnings to motorists into written citations to get his numbers up. Quote, and you were aware that the CHP had a goal for you of 100 law enforcement contacts a month, had bad ass. Uh, Graham, not the CHP, but our supervisors at the area, uh, at the, uh, the area commander. Yes, Graham replied. 
And whether or not you encountered 100 drivers who deserve tickets, right? A dad asked. Correct, Brian said. End of story. Ladies and gentlemen, um, this this uh, old guy got a beat down by the side of the road by a couple of thugs, by a couple of idiots, by a couple of posers. Um, these officers are supposed to know what they're doing. Now, I've, I've been studying uh, DMV law, uh, the vehicle code. Uh, I, I read a tremendous amount, uh, number of court cases a week. It's pretty much all I do. And if I know that infractions of the vehicle code are not crimes, even though that's not what this guy was accused of, the, the officer actually, um, for those of you who are interested, head over to the California Vehicle Code. It's online. And look at Vehicle Code Section 40300.5. Now, at that particular section of the California Vehicle Code, what you'll see is called enabling language. For those of you folks on this call who are getting started with your legal studies, enabling language uh, provides to whom it, it, it applies the ability to do something or refrain from doing something. So it's 40300.5. What you'll see is peace officer may. Now that's enabling language. It enables the cop to do something. And then the legislature goes on and, and informs the cop what he may do. Well, 40300.5 has to do with chemical impairment. And the legislature has provided the officer with a discretionary duty to arrest without a warrant as long as the officer has reasonable belief the motorist is chemically impaired, either drunk, drugged, or a combination of the two, and as long as one of A through E are in play. I'm not going to go over A through E. You can head over there and take a look at it for yourself. But here's the point. The officer is authorized to make a warrantless arrest as long as he has a reasonable belief the motorist is chemically impaired. Now, this particular highway patrol officer pulled over this elderly man, and apparently he was so freaking stupid or dumb or whatever, he couldn't determine, based on his professional training, whether or not this man was chemically impaired. And as a result, the 78-year-old man, the 78-year-old Navy veteran who was driving too slow, Got punched in the stomach, falls on the ground uh, after after the co other cop kicks his feet out from under. I mean, there's no way to treat the, the elder. And it, it's just absolutely astonishing that this uh, attorney for, for the state say that you know the he's a good cop. He's a good cop. Well, if he's a good cop and he's just doing his job, 
then he should know that infractions of the vehicle code are not crimes, and he should know how to investigate properly if he's a good cop. And this guy's not a good cop. He's, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He doesn't want to get in trouble from his, uh, his bosses. Uh, you know, so he's got, he's got to write a certain number of tickets in a single month. Well, it's, it's just a bad, it's a bad deal. He, he, number one, the old man shouldn't have gotten beat down. Uh, number two, I hope it gets uh, $1.25 million worth these cops did, uh, because these cops were wrong. They're just really wrong. And they don't know what they're doing. And if they do know what they're doing, it's even worse. Now, what does that have to do with status? Well, unfortunately for Mr. Orr, he put himself in the wrong category. Mr. Orr, like me, and probably like the majority of you on this call, were misled. We were led to believe that we needed to have a driver's license to drive uh, a motor vehicle. And that's true. That nobody ever took the time to explain to us what driving is and what a license is for. So we just did what we were told. You know, our mom and dad looking out for us, didn't want, didn't want us to get in trouble. Well, so we went over and got a driver's license. Now, here's a question for everybody. When you went to the DMV all those years ago to get your license, were you going to get the license because you wanted to drive a cab? Did you go, did you go to the DMV to get a license so you could deliver flowers or pizza? That way you went over there to get the license? Because you wanted to get paid for using a motor vehicle to go from point A to point B? Is that why you went? Or did you go over there to get a license so that you could go to the movie? Or go to the store or the mall to buy some shoes or maybe a cell phone or some sunglasses or go to the amusement park, go to your place of worship? Go to school, go to college, go buy some books for school or college. Is that the reason you went over there? Because if it was the latter, it's something I'd like for you to consider. I'd like for you to consider that you went over to get the license for the common purpose that, that the roads were laid out for us. Those streets and highways belong to we the people. They don't belong to the government. They belong to we the people. Those asphalt, uh, those asphalt strips out there that we, we ride around on, they belong to us. And the government is supposed to take care of them for us. But they belong to us. So anyway, you go to get your license and uh, because you wanted to go to the movies or to buy some shoes or whatever, and you didn't want to get in trouble. Because someone told you that you got to have a driver's license or you're you, you getting pulled over and get in trouble. And you believe them. I mean, after all, you probably heard it from an adult. So the adults told us that we have to have a driver's license to, to, to drive a car, otherwise we're going to get in trouble. Well, that's not necessarily a foregone conclusion, because you've got to ask yourself a question, and we probably didn't ask ourselves this question when we were 
16 or 17 or 18. But how's a cop supposed to see inside a wallet? How's a cop supposed to know we don't have a license or we do have a license until the cop stops us and demands we take it out of our wallet and show it to them? In, in fact, in the California Vehicle Code, there's two sections that prohibit a cop from pulling someone over, <coughs> excuse me, to determine whether they have a license or not. <coughs> you can't do it. But in any event, Mr. Orr, like me, and like probably a lot of other people, went over to the DMV because he didn't want to get in trouble. He got the, the driver's license, and unfortunately for Mr. Orr, he put himself in the same category as a cab driver or a floral delivery driver or a pizza delivery driver or a tow truck driver or a UPS driver or any other uh, somebody whose occupation is driver. And then he unfortunately and inadvertently misidentified his property. He registered it as a motor vehicle. And this was before Mr. Orr even knew what a motor vehicle was. There, ladies and gentlemen, there is a legal definition of motor vehicle. Now, you can call your car or truck a motor vehicle all day long, but it might not be one. A cop might pull you over. And when you get to court, the cop might call it a motor vehicle. But it might not be one. The way you determine if your car or truck or van or motorcycle is a motor vehicle is based on how you use it. I'm sure you folks would agree that a pen is a writing instrument when you hold it a certain way. If you hold it a different way, it could be a weapon. Pen, writing utensil, or weapon, or poking somebody. So how it's used determines what it is. The same logic, the same reasoning applies to your car, truck, van, or motorcycle. How you use it determines what it is. Now, when you get in your car and you go home from your, your job, do you get paid to bring home in your car? If not, you're not driving. Do you bring a friend along with you? Do you ride share? Does your friend pay you? Or do you just give them a ride because they're your friend? If they're not paying you, they're not a passenger. They're just giving, giving them a ride, and that's not a passenger seat. A passenger is someone who pays. So unfortunately for the vast majority of us, we misidentified ourselves, and we misidentified our behavior, our activity, and we misidentified our property. And guess what? We're now bait for cops. Cops are led to believe that anybody behind the wheel or, or handlebars of anything going anywhere 
is subject to the California Vehicle Code or the Vehicle Code of your state. This is patently false. Your vehicle code regulates professionals. It, prof it, it regulates those in the, in the occupation of driver. It regulates those engaged in the occupation or profession the, uh, of the transportation business. A cab driver gets paid. Check your, uh, check your driver's license. Is it Class C? That's what it is in California, the A, B, and C. And then there's one for a motorcycle as well. A, B, and C are the, the basic ones. A cab driver has a Class C license. I bet you Mr. Orr had a Class C license as well. Uh, you heard the word at the uh, before the show began, uh, similarly situated. Mr. Orr is similarly situated with cab drivers. But I'll bet you Mr. Orr doesn't get paid to go from point A to point B. So he may have a driver's license. But the question that some folks who've gotten tickets might want to ask uh, the officer in court is, hey, officer, uh, maybe I had a license, but uh, was I getting paid at the time you saw me? Officer, you have any evidence I was driving? Ladies and gentlemen, um, if my theory is accurate, and actually, I don't believe it's a theory. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced driving is a profession. In order for that cop to establish that you were driving, they got to have some evidence. they got to have a receipt. they got to have a manifest. they got to have a bill of lading. They gotta have an invoice. They have to have something that establishes a witness testimony that they paid you ten dollars to take them over to the grocery store. They gotta have some evidence to establish compensation because the rule that the CHP officer applied to Mr. Orr was a business rule. Unbeknownst. I don't believe the officer knew or, or knows that driving is a profession. So I don't believe he knew that he was, in fact, applying a business rule to someone who wasn't engaged in business. The cops screwed up, as did Mr. Orr. Mr. Orr screwed up because he inadvertently, like the majority of everybody in this country, put themselves in the wrong category. They put themselves in a category where their status provides that the vehicle code can be applied to them. Now, if you're not engaged in the transportation business, what are you doing with a driver's license? It doesn't make any sense. With one respect, fear. The reason you have a driver's license is because you're afraid. Your fear is related to not knowing something. What you don't know can be remedied. That's what I'm attempting to do during these broadcasts. 
And whenever I open my mouth and start talking to people about the vehicle code and traffic stops and infractions and tickets and all this other kind of stuff, my effort is to show people, at least point out to people where to look so that they can look at the same words I've seen. I'm at a point in my life where I know what the traffic stop really is. I'm at a point in my life where I know what an officer can and can't do. I'm at a point in my life, and, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm not very smart, but I can read. And you can see the same exact words that I've seen, and you can make your own determination whether or not what I'm saying is true or false. I'm either lying to you folks or I'm not. It's really simple. And I would prefer that you didn't believe me. I would prefer that you go, go read your own code, see what your uh, employees wrote and had committed to print that you paid for. You paid to have the rules written in the penal code and the code of civil procedure and the revenue and taxation code and the public utilities code and the business and professions code and the vehicle code to name a few. You paid for all that. You paid to have all that stuff written. Anybody actually read the vehicle code before they went to apply for the license? Who does that? The vehicle code says some very interesting stuff in there. So again, I would prefer you didn't believe me. I would prefer that you follow up on what I say and look at the words for yourself, then you will have personal knowledge. I have personal knowledge of what I'm talking about because I've actually seen the work. What's happening right now all across this country is people like Mr. Orr are being subjected to false imprisonment. And the officer who's subjecting them to false imprisonment is, is accusing them of violating a business rule, a rule that's applicable to commerce. And what happens uh, if you, uh, so anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll spare you all uh, the rest of that. And I want to I get back to the status issue, because what a lot of people are unaware of is, uh, in addition to the status of driver, uh, the status of husband or the status of wife or the status of child, my child, my pet. Those are all, that, those are all status words. My teacher, my priest, my rabbi. These are, all, these are all status words. Well, in addition to those status words, there's, there's a couple of words associated with our citizenship. And there's two types of citizens in our country, state and federal. Now, for some reason, the schools don't teach people that there's two types of citizens in our country, state and federal. The states came first. Massachusetts came before USA. United uh, New York came before. U.S. Inc. 
Delaware came before USC. The people in the, in the respective colonies at the time got together and decided to build a building. And they built it uh, in the neighborhood of Virginia and Maryland. And they uh, squared a 10-mile area. And that 10-mile area is where they built the, the building. And that's where the White House is located and Capitol Hill and all those other buildings are all in that 10-mile square area. Now, that building, uh, at the White House and Capitol Hill, those, those, those buildings are government buildings. And, and if, you can, if you can think in terms of a school or a college, the college has a name. Well, those buildings have a name because they're, they're part of a company. And the company's name is the United States. And Obama is the chief executive officer of a company named United States. Now, that company has limited jurisdiction. It can only act within a certain, within certain boundaries. Now, what does this have to do with the vehicle code and driver's license? Well, I would encourage everybody in the call to look up the definition of residence in your vehicle code. Because what you're going to see is uh, elements that, that constitute a resident. And one of those things that constitutes a, one, of the, one of the elements that constitutes a resident is a valid driver's license. And in order to get a driver's license, you have to provide the Department of Motor Vehicles with a social security number. Now, what does a social security number have to do with the driver's license? Well, it has to do with a qualifier. Because in order to get a driver's license in the state of California, you have to qualify. Well, one of the ways you qualify is by having a social security number. And here's the interesting thing, at least one of the interesting things about that. You're under no obligation. You cannot be forced against your will to apply for a social security number. You do not have to participate in the social security program. Period. If you believe you have to, you've been lied to, and you're believing a lie because it's not true. Social, the, the government, the company named the United States offers this benefit package through the Social Security Administration. And if you want the benefits the federal government offers, the, the company named the United States offers, you have to become a member of their company. Just like becoming a member of your grocery store so you can get a discount on your food and stuff. Swipe card, bingo, you get a get discount. You want to do 24-7 fitness or, or whatever club you're going to join, you, you don't get to use the uh, weights, you don't get to use the swimming pool, you don't get to take a shower and do all that kind of stuff, a treadmill, 
until you become a member. Once you become a member, then you're entitled to the benefits. The same exact principle applies to Social Security. California will not issue a driver's license to anybody who is not participating in the Social Security program. Now, what does that tell you? What it should tell you is California only issues driver's licenses to members of a company named the United States. Well, I'm not a member of the company named the United States anymore. I quit. I did that about 25 years ago. And what I did was I reclaimed my birthright. I, I, I popped out here in California. My mom and dad, unbeknownst to them, entered me into the Social Security program because they believe that's what you have to do. Well, after a few years of studying law and uh, the Social Security program, I decided I don't want to be a member of that company anymore because it ain't worth it. The members of that company are so highly regulated, it's unbelievable. If you want to see the regulations that apply to a U.S. citizen, take a look at Appendix B, B as in boy, in the California Vehicle Code. All those things apply to U.S. citizens, but they don't apply to me because I'm not a resident. I know what my status is. And um, anyway, I want to, uh, having said that, I want to move into this court case. It's from 1874, and it's a, it's a court case. Uh, called Minor, M-I-N-O-R, Minor versus Happerset. Minor versus Happerset. This is a U.S. Supreme Court decision. And um, the reason I want to read it is because a lot of people are, are unaware that there's uh, both a state citizen and a U.S. or federal citizen. And my question always is, to a naysayer, um, if there's no such thing as a state citizen, then why have both the state and federal Supreme Courts written about something that doesn't exist? Now, there's a lot of stupid judges, don't get me wrong. But you, you, you've got both state and federal Supreme Court judges talking about state citizenship. There are not some court cases. I've got a lot of court cases where, and, and my never just happens that's one of them. So why, why would the courts talk about something that didn't exist? It doesn't make any sense. So anyway, um, what I want to do by reading this case is establish as firmly as possible that there is a, there is a distinction, state and federal. And, and I'm here to tell you one's better than the other. So uh, it goes it goes like this. This is error to the Supreme Court of Missouri, the case being thus. The 14th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States, in its first section, thus ordained, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's important to realize when you look at the 14th Amendment, by the way, the 14th Amendment was never properly ratified. There were no, not enough people to 
vote for it, so it's technically bogus, but they don't want you to know this. In any event, you'll see the word per persons, all persons born in the United States. Now, United, the, the U in United and Essex States are capitalized. That's a proper name, United States. Now, if we're talking about a, co a coagulation of dirt enclosed areas like Georgia, Virginia, Florida, Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Missouri, what we're going to see is a lowercase u in United and a lowercase s in state. States being a noun, United being the adjective. It modifies the noun. But in this particular case, you're going to see a proper name. They're not talking about the dirt enclosed area from the east coast and west coast from the Canadian to the Mexican border. They're talking about a company. So all persons born are naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state where they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge privileges or immunity of the citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. Now, what's important to remember, ladies and gentlemen, is that the so-called or alleged 14th Amendment was only applicable to slaves. The so-called 14th Amendment had no applicability to state citizens. It had to do with the slaves. Prior to the so-called 14th Amendment, slaves were considered stuck. Stuff has no rights. Well, as one of the benefits of the Civil War, I suppose you could say it's a benefit, the, uh, the slaves were finally acknowledged as sentient beings as opposed to inanimate stuff or animate stuff, property. That's what it's all about. The 14th Amendment had no applicability to anybody born in any one of the states. It only had to do with the newly freed slaves and corporations. Return to the case. In the Constitution of the State of Missouri, that's ordained, every male citizen of the United States shall be entitled to vote. Under the statute of the state, all persons wishing to vote in the election must previously have been registered in the manner pointed out by the statute, this being a conditioned precedent to the exercise of the elected franchise. In the state of things, on 15th of October, 1872, one of the days fixed by law for the registration of voters, Mrs. Virginia Minor, a native-born, free, white citizen of the United States and of the state of Missouri, over the age of 21 years, wishing to vote for electors, uh, uh, for president and vice president of the United States, and for a representative in Congress, and for other officers at the general election held in November 1872, register her as a lawful voter which he refused to do, assigning for cause that she was not 
a male citizen of the United States, but a woman. She thereupon sued him in one of the inferior state courts in Missouri for willfully refusing to place her name upon the list of registered voters, by which refusal she was deprived of her right to vote. The registrar demurred, and the court in which the suit was brought sustained the demur and gave judgment in his favor, a judgment which the Supreme Court affirmed. Mrs. Minor now brought the case here on error. Mr. Francis Minor, with whom uh, were Mrs. Dan Crum and J.B. Henderson, for the plaintiff in error, went into an elaborate argument partially based on what she deemed true political views and partially resist, uh, resting on legal and constitutional grounds. The last seemed to be thus resolvable. Uh, the last seemed to be thus resolvable. First, a citizen of the United States, the plaintiff, was entitled to any and all the privileges and immunities that belong to such a position, however defined, and as are held, exercised, and enjoyed by other citizens of the United States. Second, the elected franchise is a privilege of citizenship in the highest sense of the word. It is the privilege uh, preservative of all rights and privileges, and especially of the right of the citizen to participate in his or her government. Third, the denial or abridgment of this privilege, if it exists at all, must be sought only in the fundamental charter of government, the Constitution of the United States. If not found there, no inferior power or jurisdiction can legally claim the right to exercise it. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, if it ain't a constitution, you can't do it. Fourth, but the Constitution of the United States, so far from recognizing or permitting any denial or abridgment of the privileges of its citizens, expressly declares that no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Fifth, it follows that the provisions of the Missouri Constitution and registry law before recited are in conflict with and must yield to the paramount authority of the Constitution of the United States. There was no opposing counsel. The Chief Justice delivered the opinion of the court. The question is presented in this case whether, since the adoption of the 14th Amendment, a woman who is a citizen of the United States and of the state of Missouri is a voter in that state, notwithstanding the provision of the Constitution and the laws of the state, uh, which can find the right of suffrage to men alone. So we might, perhaps, decide the case upon other grounds, but this question is fairly made. From the opinion, we find that it was only the only one decided in the court below, and it is the only one which has been argued here. The case was undoubtedly brought to this court for the sole purpose of having that question decided by it. And in view of the evident propriety there is uh, of having it settled, so far as it can be by such a decision, we have concluded to waive all other consideration and proceed at once to its determination. It is contended that the provisions of the Constitution and laws of the state of Missouri, which confine the right of suffrage and registration, therefore, to men, 
are in violation of the Constitution of the United States and therefore void. The argument is that as a woman, born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, is a citizen of the United States and of the state in which she resides, she has a right of suffrage as one of the privileges and immunities of her citizenship, which the state, by its laws or constitution, abridge. There is no doubt that women may be citizens. They are persons, and by the 14th Amendment, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are expressly declared to be citizens of the United States and of the state where they reside. But, in our opinion, it did not need this amendment to give them that position. Before its adoption, the Constitution of the United States did not, in terms, prescribe who should be citizens of the United States or of the several states. Yet there were necessarily such citizens without such a provision. There cannot be a nation without a people. The very idea of a political community, such as a nation is, implies an association of persons or the promotion of their general welfare. Each one of the persons associated becomes a member of the nation formed by the association. He owes it allegiance and is entitled to its protection. Allegiance and protection are, in this connection, reciprocal obligations. The one is compensation for the other. Allegiance for protection and protection for allegiance. For convenience, it has been found necessary to give a name to this membership. The object is to designate by a title the person and the relation he bears to the nation. For this purpose, the words subject, inhabitant, and citizen have been used, and the choice between them is sometimes made to depend upon the form of government. Citizen is now more commonly employed. However, and as uh, it has been considered better suited to the description of one living under a Republican government, it was adopted by nearly all of the states upon their separation from Great Britain and was afterwards adopted in the Articles of Confederation and in the Constitution of the United States. When used in this sense, it is understood as containing the idea of membership of a nation and nothing more. To determine, then, who were citizens of the United States before the adoption of the amendment, it is necessary to ascertain what persons originally associated themselves together to form the nation and what were afterwards admitted to membership. Ladies and gentlemen, that paragraph is very telling because the states came first. It was the people in New York, the people in Delaware, the people in Rhode Island, the people in Virginia, the people in Maryland, the people in New York. That's in New York. I said it again, New York. Um, New Jersey. These were all in the Pennsylvania. These were all independent places. Ben Franklin didn't want to be a citizen of New Jersey. William Penn didn't want to be a citizen of New York. He wanted to be a citizen of Pennsylvania, his own place. But what they did was they pulled some of their resources and some of their power and granted it to uh, their employees in the 10-mile square area. They created that government, that federal government institution, 
to deal with nations. But the fact remains, the, the, the people came first in each of the different colonies. They created a government within each colony. And then what they did was they kind of pulled the resources to fight off the English bulldog who wanted to come over and take all this stuff. So the, 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 the state citizen can't afford a U.S. citizen. Returning to the case, looking at the Constitution itself, we find that it was ordained and established by the people of the United States. And then going further back, we find that these were the people of the several states that had before dissolved the political bands which connected them with Great Britain and assumed a separate and equal station among the powers of the earth, and that had uh, by Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union, in which they took the name of the United States of America, and entered into a firmly equal friendship with each other for their common defense, the security of their liberties, and their mutual and general welfare, finding themselves to assist each other against all force uh, offered to. Uh, or attack made upon them, or any of them, on account of religion, sovereignty, trade, or any other pretense, whatever. Uh, you got to like that sovereignty word. You know, I don't consider sovereignty uh, sovereign uh, a pejorative. Government employees do for some reason. Uh, are you a sovereign citizen? No, but I have sovereignty. There is no such thing as there is no status as sovereign citizen. It's nonsense. You're a state citizen or a U.S. citizen. It's just that simple. There ain't no such thing as a sovereign citizen. The status doesn't exist. And anybody who attempts to claim you're a sovereign citizen, or if you attempt to claim you're a sovereign citizen, you're an idiot. This is no such thing. Might as well call yourself the Pope while you're at it. Um, returning to the case, whoever then was one of the people of either of these states when the Constitution of the United States was adopted became its so facto a citizen, a member of the nation created by its adoption. You gotta love court cases, ladies and gentlemen, because they tell you this the actual history of things. Returning to the case, he was one of the persons associating together to form the nation and was consequently one of its original citizens. As to this, there has never been a doubt. Disputes have arisen as to whether or not certain persons or certain classes, classes of persons were part of the people at the time, but never as to their citizenship if they were. Additions might always be made to the citizenship of the United States in two ways. First, by birth, and second, by naturalization. This is apparent from the Constitution itself, for it provides that no person except the natural-born citizen or citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of the Constitution shall be eligible to office of the President, and that Congress shall have the power to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. Thus, new citizens may be born, or they may be created by naturalization. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something here. And that Congress shall have the power to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. Has anybody seen any rule in the, in the Constitution that says that Congress shall, in addition to having the power to establish a uniform rule of naturalization, that Congress or any, anybody in federal government can naturalize anyone? Anybody ever seen that rule? 
Because if no such rule exists, then somebody is perpetrating a fraud on somebody. Because if there's no authorization for a federal government employee to naturalize anybody, and by the way, an ordinance or an executive order, uh, that's not law. The Constitution is law. An executive order only applies to those within the company. It doesn't apply to anybody outside the company. It's a directive or an order to government employees, but it does not apply to any of we the people. So I don't care what, what, what kind of executive order Obama or Bush or any, any other retarded CEO wants to uh, write up doesn't apply to me. It only applies to their crew, not me. Not you, not anybody in this country, other than a federal government employee. Uh, the Constitution does not, in words, say who shall be natural born citizens. Resort must be had elsewhere to ascertain that. At common law, with the nomenclature of which the framers of the Constitution were familiar, it was never doubted that all children born in a in the country of parents who are citizens became themselves upon their birth citizens also. So guess what, ladies and gentlemen? After the newly freed slaves um, settled down wherever they settled down, whatever state, and they had a child, that child was a state citizen. Because where you pop out establishes your primary status, your primary citizenship. So if you're born in Georgia, you're, you're a state citizen of Georgia. Unless and until, unless and until you become a, a member of, of a company named the United States, and then your primary citizenship becomes secondary. So the, the regulations of the company trump your rights why? Because you entered into a contract. That's why. You have a contract with, with, with a company named the United States. You wanted their benefits. You wanted whatever that company had to offer. You wanted to be a member of it. No problem. As a condition, you now don't have access to the rights secured by your state constitution, which, by the way, are way more powerful than the federal constitution and the Bill of Rights. You see, in the California Constitution, we are guaranteed to acquire a, 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 a safety and happiness, not just pursue it. We get to acquire it here in California. And what makes me happy is riding around in my car, on my truck, on my motorcycle, on my van, without paying the DMV to do it. Um, I see we're well after the top of the hour. I'll go ahead and pick this tape up next week if uh, you want to go ahead and um, see if anybody has anything to offer, Martin, question, comment. Uh, otherwise, I'll keep reading. All right. Uh, very good. Uh, star 2 on your keypad, folks, if you have a question. That's for everybody that's on the call with us. If you dial them a number and you put in a pen, then you're on the call with us. Star 2 at this time to raise your hand. For everybody else listening throughout the country at freedomsradio.com, type your question in the question bar at this time and click submit. 
An ominous right hand is a motorist the same as a driver. Well, that's a good question. Keep in mind that um, uh, words have multiple definitions. There's a colloquial or conventional definition of word, and there's a legal or technical definition of word. Now, when you look into what's known as statutory construction, what you'll find is the courts uh, are, are to default to the common or everyday uh, use of words. So the common or everyday use of the word driver, for example, would be somebody sitting behind the wheel of a, of a car going someplace. Okay, fine. And now, if you go ahead and object, because there happens to be a legal or technical definition of that word, then that legal or technical definition trumps the colloquial or conventional definition. So the word motorist um, is, is not um, found in the, in the vehicle code per se. The word driver is. Uh, the word motorist is, is akin to traffic stop. It's a, word, it's, it's a term used, but that's not what the legislature used. They used the word arrest. Um, so it, it, it's just going to depend. If, if someone used the word motorist, in my presence, I would ask them to define it. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, someone who drives a car. Well, then, no, I'm, I'm not a motorist. We have a car, right? Yeah. Well, how would you get here? In my car. We, we, we are motorists, right? No. Well, you got here in a car, right? Yes. We, 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 you, how would you get here? Well, I'm not a car. Well, you're a motorist. No, I'm not a motorist. I don't, I don't drive. What? You said you got here in a car. Oh, how'd you get here if you didn't drive? Huh, I used it. What? Ah, that's all semantics, man. I know. It's all semantics, ladies and gentlemen. Next question. Fourth comment. Is the host muted? Yeah. Let me go to my speaking and I'm muted. Well, there you go. Is, uh, well, they belong to the people, not the government. People own everything, and entities cannot own anything. That's true. Um, there's, a, uh, there's an incredible um, hearing that took place recently at the House Oversight uh, Committee, and it had to do with Freedom of Information Act request. There was a whole bunch of people who went there, uh, reporters and other, other folks who uh, were attorneys, who are complaining. I mean, these complaints are absolutely astonishing. Anyway, uh, the witnesses were um, informing the uh, uh, Congress critters uh, about their negative experiences with the Freedom of Information Act. Um, and it, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It, 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 
incredible hearing. I would encourage everybody to get over there and take a look at it. And uh, by the way, you can download the opening statements by all the witnesses, uh, including the uh, the chairman. And uh, this is great stuff. The bottom line is this, and this is where I'm going with this. The people who work in government um, are employees, and what they do is they manage the people's property. The information in the file cabinets up in Sacramento or your state capital are your property. It's not proprietary. But that's the way, uh, that, that's what the, uh, that's where the witnesses with this Freedom of Information Act hearing were alluding to. You have agency after agency after agency dragging their feet and not responding to these requests. This one uh, reporter, her name is uh, Cheryl Atkinson, um, she filed a Freedom of Information Act request when her daughter was eight years old. She didn't get a response until her daughter was 18. Now, um, I, for one, don't use the Freedom of Information Act. I use... Uh, Here's a couple of code sections from the California Government Code, uh, 6250 and 5.49.5.0. Those are the two that I use. And those two uh, government code sections inform me that um, I'm one of the people, and uh, I, I, uh, I insist on remaining informed so that I can control my service. 54950 is some powerful terminology. And you're saying pretty much the same exact words at 11120 of the government code. So you're going to see identical terms at 11120 and 54950. But I'll typically use 54950 if I want information from government. So basically, what I'm doing is I'm sticking the government code section in front of a government employee. And all I have to do is read it and comply with it, and we're good to go. If they don't, they're going to have problems. But the fact remains, these government institutions um, have no rights. The stuff that they have belongs to the people, and, the people are, and it's not proprietary. So what the uh, type of type is correct. Next. <clears throat> All right. Texas writes in, in 1868, Congress gave themselves the Dictionary Act given rights change the meaning of words. Yeah, people need to be aware of a, a phrase, a legal thing, called legal term of art. Legal term of art. You all remember when uh, Billy was testifying about uh, his dalliance with Ms. Lewinsky? Now, at one point during um, his impeachment uh, proceeding, 
uh, his response to the question was, well, it depends on what the definition is. Now, I'm sure there was a whole lot of folks in this country when they heard that, they went, what a jerk. But I guarantee you, there were some suit-wearing attorneys who sat there and went, that's one smart attorney. So a legal term of art can mean something that you wouldn't ordinarily apply it to. For example, uh, the word can. A legal term of art for the word can could be fork. I know, it's absurd, but that's what a legal term of art is. Uh, so battery, the batter, a, a battery uh, could be a tire. Legal term of art. And so we have to, that's, that's why it's important to um, be aware of uh, statutory construction and legal term of art because there are technical or legal definitions that we need to be aware of. And that's what's used in the codes. They, 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 it's a combination of uh, colloquial or common definitions and also a technical definition. And again, the court is, is typically will default to common or colloquial definition, but if there's a um, technical or legal definition, then that trumps. So it's really good to know what a motor vehicle and a driver is. So you might want to take a look at Bouvier's Law Dictionary from 1856. That's online. Black's fourth, third, second, third. Um, law Dictionary. Look up driver. It's one employee. Anyway, anything else? No, please proceed. Okay. So um, let me get the screen saver off here and I'll. Okay, cool. So, uh, again, it's, it's important to understand that um, there are words that are associated with a profession or, or, or occupation uh, of, of those in the transportation business. There's words that are associated with transportation, like traffic. Traffic means commerce. Driver, that's, that's the name of the occupation. Uh, 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 that's, that, that, that's a word associated with someone who's in that occupation. Driving is an occupation. Now, um, I was asked recently, maybe it was last week, what about my commercial driver's license? Well, absolutely. You can stick any word you want in front of a license. That's not going to change what a license is. A license permits the holder to engage in a job. So if you've got a driver's license, but you don't drive, if you don't get paid to go anywhere and haul passengers and property around, then be consistent. Go get a, go get a chiropractor license. You probably don't do that either. Uh, go get an attorney, a, a license to be an attorney. You probably don't do that either. But go get a license. Just be consistent. A license permits the holder to engage in a job. And again, I'll, I'll pose a question. When you went to the DMV initially, did you go there because you wanted to, to, to uh, drive a cab or deliver pizza? Or did you go to the DMV because you want to go to the beach and the movies and, and, and to visit your friends and to take your girlfriend or boyfriend someplace? 
I believe it was the latter. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to the beach. I wanted to go up in the mountains, go camping and stuff. I didn't want to be a cab driver. I didn't want to deliver pizza. I didn't want to deliver flowers. That's not why I wanted to get the license. I wanted to get the license so that I, I wouldn't get in trouble. I was avoiding a spanking. But ladies and gentlemen, given that um, the uh, the way that you got the driver's license was was based on a contract, you have a you have an argument for uh, duress. You were under duress when you went to get the license. You went to get that license for the wrong reasons. You were misled. You were defrauded, and you went there afraid. You probably don't think of it in those terms, but if you want to avoid getting pulled over by a cop, then you want to get the license. I'm, I'm sure there's, there's more than me on this call who's been pulled over. That's not a fun experience. It's, it's, it's an anxiety-ridden experience, and I don't like that happening. I'm very careful when I, when I use the street. I look backwards as much as I look forward, and I've always got a plan. Because I don't want to interact with cops. they got nothing I want. But they believe that they're entitled to do all this stuff like pull people like Mr. Orr over and beat the hell out of the guy because he's not cooperating. Well, he doesn't have to cooperate with an illegal order. And under the circumstances that this, this officer pulled the guy over, Mr. Orr was under no obligation to comply. Why? Because the officer made a, fault, a faulty evaluation of Mr. Orr's behavior. The cop was wrong, but Mr. Orr picked up the tab for the cop being wrong. He got punched in the gut, then he got his, kick, his feet kicked out from under him, and he fell down, hurt his hip. This is after he had a stroke in 2006. Plus, the man is 78 years old. What the hell is wrong with these police officers beating up old people? Don't they have grandparents? These guys are thugs. They're, they're out of control. They're doing it for money. And that's what that, that article is all about. Now, we're hearing a lot about license plate readers and, um, you know, national ID, you know, national driver's license, whatever you want to call it. I don't want anything to do with that stuff. If you don't have a license plate on your car, how are they going to scan it? Well, I can hear it now. People are going, well, yeah, you don't have a license in the car. You're not going to pull over. Hey, hey. But what if the cop's wrong? What if the cop made, 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 uh, made a, a wrong evaluation? Yeah, you were pulled over, but it doesn't mean you're guilty. As a matter of fact, one of the fundamental rules of this country regarding our, our uh, legal system is that you're innocent until proven. Uh, you're not. So even though a cop pulls you over and maybe they take your car, you're still innocent. Someone's got to show up in a courtroom and they got to have some evidence that establishes 
You're not innocent. And they never do. They never prove commercial behavior. There's this, uh, this incredible court case. Uh, selling on parole, pulled over in a stolen car. He's got a loaded gun in the stolen car. He used the gun to steal the car, and he walked. Cops had him dead to rights. Boom. Fallen on parole, stolen car, loaded weapon. This guy's going to jail for the rest of his life, right? Wrong. He walked. And the reason he walked was because the United States government did not prove commerce. They did not establish that this guy was engaged in, in interstate commerce at the time of the uh, at the time of the, the uh, traffic stop. So the guy the guy walked. I'm not making this up. Maybe hard to believe, but I'm not making this up. That, that, that's quirky. Fell on parole in a stolen car, loaded weapon that he used to steal a car. Gets pulled over and he winds up walking. Why? Because the government didn't do their job. That's why they have the, the the prosecution has to do things like discovery, for example. The prosecution has to supply you with discovery, whether you ask for it or not. Not many people know that. As a matter of fact, the Constitution, according to a whole bunch of courts, at least here in California have held that you don't have to file a discovery request. The DA has to provide you with stuff. You don't even have to ask for it. They gotta do it. It's part of their job, and they don't. And the majority of people don't know this. And as a result, the state's getting away with bloody murder. They're raping the citizens of this country for their money. They're terrorizing us. They want us to be afraid. They don't want us to know what the DMV regulates and what the license permits. They don't want you to think about pulling the plates off your car because you're going to get pulled over and go to jail and the car's going to be taken. Lions and tigers and bears. Come on. Not really. Look at the rules. That's all, that's all I do. I just look at the rules. Where does it say a cop gets to make a warrantless arrest for non-criminal behavior? Where's that written? If that's what a so-called traffic stop is for in 99.9% of the, the uh, cases. A fine-only offense is not a crime. You don't get a jury trial. You don't get an attorney paid for a public expense. And you're not going to go to jail if you're found guilty. They just want your money. It's not a crime. In California, uh, the legislature saw fit to decriminalize possession of an ounce or less of grass, marijuana. So you can have an ounce of grass on your on your possession, and it's not a crime because it's been decriminalized. Fine. What am I doing in a criminal setting then? Uh, if if a cop uh, issues me a notice to appear for um, possessing an ounce of, of pot. 
Why is it in a criminal setting instead of a civil setting? Ladies and gentlemen, things are screwy. But all the rules are written down. All the answers are in the law library. The majority of everything is online. It's available 24-7. You can go to the California Code 24-7. They're always up. As long as you have electricity in the computer, you can go on the California uh, web, uh, California Code website, and you can look at the codes. You can look at the vehicle code. You can look at the penal code. You can look at the code of civil procedure. Ladies and gentlemen, we the people um, are in a catbird seat as far as the power goes. There is no reason for you all not to know what I know. There's no reason other than you not making the time and, and investing the effort to do it. Again, I'm not that smart. I'm angry that I've been lied to and ripped off. And there are people who continue to lie to me and, and, and attempt to rip me off who wanted to work for me. This is unacceptable. And so I, I, I spend my time looking at the... Uh, that the rules that the employees up at the state capitol wrote. I want to see who they apply to. Because I want, I, want, I want greater control over my servants. I know what a cop's doing. I know what a traffic stop is. I know they don't have a warrant. I know they're breaking the law. And it's not going to go very well for that officer in court if we wind up going to court. Because I'm going to ask that officer a series of questions, and they're not going to feel very good uh, hearing them. Any of you folks on this call been to court and your mouth gets dry? Get a little anxious, your mouth gets dry, get a little quaking? Yeah, me too. And I like to share the wealth. I want to make sure that that cop experiences exactly what I'm experiencing. There's questions you can pose to a cop on the stand. You're not going to like you very much. But, hey, the beauty of it is they don't get to beat you up. They don't get to elect it to you. they got to stand there and answer your questions. In any event, any other uh, questions or comments? No, there sure isn't. Okay. Well, um, where are we at here? Want to call it? Want to call it? And uh, pick it up next week? You can uh, go out and deal with the barbecue? Yep, let's wrap it up. All right. Hey, well, thank you, Martin. Appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for uh, taking time out of your day and stopping by. I hope it's something you can use. Uh, again, uh, the court case I was reading from tonight, um, it's real hard not to comment on it, is called Minor versus Happerset, H-A-P-P-E-R-S, as in Sam, E-T-T, Happerset. It's 88 U.S. 162. 88 U.S. 162, 1874 court case. Uh, Ms. Minor was a Missouri citizen. And the, the reason for the case is to, is to demonstrate to people that there's both state and federal citizenship. And um, it, it, it's a very interesting case. And you'll be able to get this at uh, findlaw.com, where you can uh, get U.S. Supreme Court decisions uh, for free. Um, if you're interested in your own state court uh, decisions, uh, you can hook up an account with them for free. You can use a phony name if you want, and you can 
access uh, your state case law, uh, court of appeal decisions, um, and uh, state Supreme Court decisions. So again, thank you, everybody. Have a good evening, and uh, keep an eye on the mirror. Thank you, Martin. All right, uh, thank you, Sharp. All right, as we'll see folks know, uh, Ms. Flexon does have two uh, uh, e-books available, uh, and there are more uh, uh, coming. If you're interested in picking up one of those, get a hold of us at yourremedyisinthelaw.com. Uh, you can email me directly. I am Martin Michaels, and that email address is m at yourremedyisinthelaw.com. Again, that's mm at yourremedyisinthelaw.com. Uh, also, the Slack Show does have a very limited opening available for private consultation to talk about the parameters of your particular scenario and see if he might be able to assist you, giving you his personal opinions and experiences with the hopes of educating you on how to handle the matter yourself. Get a hold of us at yourremedyisinthelaw.com. We'll be happy to uh, take care of you on that as well. Join us again tomorrow night, same time, same place. We'll be having our normal Thursday night call with Mr. Smith. We'll be discussing his book, I Object, How to Beat the IRS. And so we encourage you to join us for that. So until next time, everyone have a pleasant evening and be well. The conference is now completed. Goodbye. Welcome to the conference. Please enter the conference ID, followed by the pound key. Thank you. Guest ID accepted.